0: I had so much fun talking about Daniel that I figure I got to talk some more about some Old Testament people uh, and tell their stories and uh, draw some lessons from that. And uh, so uh, this summer when, uh, when I'm here and in the pulpit, uh, we're going to take a look at some Old Testament characters and we're going to start today with a guy by the name of Esau. And his story is found in the book of Genesis, the 25th chapter, beginning at verse 19. And so we read, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramaean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramaean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So the Lord went to inquire. So she went to inquire of the Lord, excuse me. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which means hairy. (laughs) After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel So he was named Jacob, which means he grasps the heel. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. A birthright was a special honor given to the firstborn son, It included a double portion of the family inheritance, along with the honor of one day becoming the leader of the family. The oldest son could sell his birthright or could give it away, but in so doing, he would lose material goods and he would lose his future leadership position. Needless to say, you wouldn't give your birthright away lightly. And yet, Esau did exactly that. So, what was he thinking? Clearly, he was not the brightest bulb in the box, not the sharpest tool in the shed. But why would he trade his inheritance for a bowl of mush? Surely, he wasn't going to die of starvation. I mean, couldn't he wait until his next meal? So, it's easy to come down on Esau, you know, call him a dimwit, you know, and Just judge him harshly. But perhaps he wasn't all that different from you and me. So let me explain. Esau's mistake was that he traded a long-term spiritual blessing for a short-term pleasure. Esau traded the lasting benefits of his birthright for the immediate pleasure of food. He acted on impulse, satisfying his immediate desires without pausing to consider the long-term consequences of what he was about to do. Falling into the trap of immediate gratification, he lost his perspective on life, didn't even think again about what was gonna, might happen later as a result of his actions, so he, he went to try and reclaim his birthright from his father. He cried before his father, made all kinds of excuses for himself why he did that, but to no avail. His father refused it. What was done was done. It was too late. He gave it all up for the desires of the moment. Now, does that sound familiar to any of you? Happens all the time, doesn't it? Happens in the realm of pleasure. We chase things on impulse. We make rash decisions to make us feel good or better than the other guy. But then we have to pay the consequences. We buy things now and then we're sorry when the bill collector comes to call. It happens in the realm of extramarital sex, where the momentary pleasure can be so captivating that one may not even stop to think about what those consequences might be. Unexpected baby, venereal disease, a violation of trust, hurt families, and a broken marriage. What, for the pleasure of the moment? Happens in the realm of human relationships. We get angry in the moment. We feel powerful and righteous because there's something about anger that we just love. We relish being angry. But then we say something, we do something that we later regret. Happens in the realm of business. An opportunity for some easy money. Shady business deal going down an impulse of greed, the illegal or the unethical deed is done, and then maybe the law comes calling, the IRS shows up at your door, or maybe there's just the call of one's own conscience that won't let you sleep at night. Now, it doesn't help matters in. It doesn't help matters when the, the shapers and the influencers of society are working overtime to try to keep our appetites and our passions aflame. I mean at fever pitch. Everywhere the message is in media, wherever you look, the message is go ahead and indulge yourself. You deserve it. Pamper yourself experience the pleasures. We are a society that encourages binging without regard to consequences. And so we binge on food, on drink, on sex, on internet pornography, on work, on TV, on video games, on sports, on spending, Somehow we've bought into the notion that if we simply cast off all restraints and give ourselves to our impulses and passions, the things that we feel, giving into every momentary impulse, it will bring us happiness and freedom. But look out it's a trap. What looks like will bring you happiness will not bring happiness, but only unhappiness, in fact. It will bring bondage. Some of you may be familiar with the, uh, the Irish poet and playwright Oscar Wilde, who was a wild and crazy guy in his era. Now, he lived during the Victorian era, you know, when everything was prim and proper, and, you know, outwardly you would only do what respectable ladies and gentlemen would do. Uh, Oscar Wilde was, uh, well, he lived a very eccentric and promiscuous lifestyle, and because it was that era, he really stood out. In fact, he was called what's called the Bohemians, uh, not that, that people like that are from Bohemia, but the Bohemians were essentially penniless artists, uh, writers, and so on, that just kind of let themselves go. They didn't care what other people thought. They would just cast off all restraints, live their animal passions. And that's exactly what Oscar Wilde did. Of course, today he wouldn't stand out so much, <laughs> would he? <laughs> but the confession he once made is very telling. Now, listen to this. It's just a slightly longer quote than I like, but I really appreciate what he says. He says, the gods had given me almost everything, but I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. Tired of being on the heights, I deliberately went to the depths in search of new sensations. What the paradox was to me in the sphere of thought, perversity became to me in the sphere of passion. I grew careless of the lives of others. I took pleasure in and where it pleased me and passed on. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character, and that therefore what one has done in the secret chamber one has someday to cry aloud from the housetop. I ceased to be lord over myself. I was no longer the captain of my soul. I did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me. I ended in horrible disgrace." I so appreciate his honesty that that promiscuous, anything-goes kind of lifestyle led to, for him, ruin. We can so fall into the trap of giving in to every immediate satisfaction and pleasure that we lose complete control of ourselves. In Wilde's Wild's words, we discover that we are no longer the captain of our own souls. We become slaves to our most base animal passions and impulses. Jesus himself warned about that, he warned of allowing ourselves to be led by our selfish passions, he said. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And then he talks about how the truth will set you free. The Apostle Paul, his letter to the Philippians, speaks of those whose destiny is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose whose glory is in their shame. Their mind, he says, is on earthly things. I'm famished, said Esau. At that moment, his God was his belly, and he was totally focused on the immediate physical need. His momentary self-gratification was nothing compared to the birthright that he ended up despising. This is one of the great tragedies of the Bible. See to it that no one becomes like Esau, says the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, an immoral and godless person who sold his birthright for a single meal. So how can you and I avoid becoming like Esau? Falling into the trap of immediate gratification? How can we exercise more self control? And the most obvious thing is to consciously steer clear of tempting situations, intentionally cutting out or curtailing bad influences that we know may set us off. We know what sets us off, we can avoid putting ourselves in those kinds of situations. If our spending is out of control, then maybe we need to cut up our credit cards. If we have a history of abusing alcohol or drugs, then maybe we need to avoid situations and not go, for instance, to bars. If you are a young person with your hormones raging, maybe it would be better not to be alone with a girlfriend or a boyfriend where you might likely lose all control. If internet pornography is a problem for you, and it's a big problem, especially for a lot of men, then maybe you want to install a filter on your computer or unsubscribe to the service. I have great respect for Billy Graham, who is one of the great Christian superstars, right? And uh, he was very successful in avoiding the taint of scandal. And it's not so hard to understand because as a young man, Billy Graham took steps to avoid tempting situations and potentially bad influences. So that when huge offerings came into his ministry, the money came pouring in, he put himself on a straight salary. And I understand it wasn't that great a salary as it was and he delegated the accounting to an uh, independent organization. And when he traveled, Billy Graham established the policy. Policies prevented him from being in compromising situations with women. So he refused to ever be in the presence of another woman alone, family accepting. He even went so far as to request hotels to disconnect cable TV. You all know the saying, bad company corrupts good morals. We can all be careful about the company we keep and monitor the places where we go. Henry Nowen, writer of many Christian books, spiritual writer, reminds us to watch how we walk. He says, as a child of God, you need to be prudent You cannot simply walk around in this world as if nothing and no one can harm you. You are really extremely vulnerable. The same passions that make you love God may be used by the powers of evil. But beyond the obvious, you know, I'm stating the obvious, avoiding tempting situations. The most important thing for us to avoid falling into the trap of immediate satisfaction, is summed up in one phrase. The answer to our craving for the immediate is to focus on the eternal. It's to keep a a long-term eternal perspective by being grounded in long-term spiritual goals and core values and by claiming our spiritual birthright as the adopted children of God, remembering who we are and whose we are and what we stand for, keeping our focus on what is truly important in life. Now, Jacob, Esau's brother, was a sneak, a deceiver, and he was a crook. I'll have more to say about that next week. But at least Jacob seemed to have a long-term spiritual perspective on his life. He thought about life's direction. He had a sense of what was most important. Esau, on the other hand, hadn't thought much about his life or his values, forgot who he was and what he was destined for, and it led to ruin. What are we willing to trade for the things that we want now? Do we find ourselves at times willing to negotiate anything for what we feel we need in the moment? Does our family, our spouse, our integrity, our body, our soul get thrown into these deals? Do we sometimes feel that the important things of life have escaped us as we were grabbing for something else at the moment? It just seems to me that so many people have never really thought about how to live their life, how to properly conduct it. I'm not so sure that people are really looking for wisdom today, but instead they just go from situation to situation, moment to moment, doing whatever feels good at the time, and people get into trouble, causes heartache, pain. People don't stop to think about what might be morally required of them in a given situation. Maybe some folks don't even have an ethical code. Someone has offered this bit of advice, and I've always remembered, it's been helpful to me. It's this, define yourself and stay connected. Define yourself and stay connected. You know, how much have we really thought about what's important to us? What's, what's really important? What is truly non-negotiable for us in life? The things that we simply wouldn't trade for anything. One helpful exercise I would commend to you, I've, I've done it myself, is to uh, sit down and maybe make kind of a little personal retreat when you have moments of quietness, if you do, and to kind of write out your personal mission statement. I mean, what is your life about? What's important to you? What are your core values that with God's help you can practice? I think it's helpful. It's useful. Think about it. Can you put it on paper? Define yourself and then stay connected. Be true to who you are in Christ so that when temptations of the moment come, you will not exchange your birthright for a bowl of mush. We all need that long term spiritual perspective in life that says, My conduct is governed by something other than just meeting my own needs at the moment. Our greatest need is to find a focal point other than what I want and need now. And really, the only worthy focal point is to focus on God and God's design for life. In the Bible, we get God's long term perspective on life. God reminds us of our Of our birthright belonging to us as adopted children of God. In fact, God would have you and me inherit His richest blessings as being part of His family. But we must live for Him and not for the moment. We must listen to Him and not to our bellies. (laughs) We must worship Him and not the gods of our own choosing. You know, the voices in the world are so strong, pulling us in so many unhealthy directions. It's more important than ever to get God's perspective on life, which I believe is why you're here. Maybe I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but I think you know the need for that. Because the world has a way of knocking us on the head and causing us to have spiritual amnesia. We kind of go with the world, whatever the world is promising at the time. And yet we come here and we remember what we're about. We are reminded of our birthright. We are the children of God in Jesus Christ. We are members of His family, and we dare not tarnish that family name or that reputation, which we can so easily do when we fall into the trap of immediate gratification. Esau was a man who had no self-discipline, he had no self-control, he didn't know the meaning of delayed gratification to receive a better reward, and it ruined him. And so may the Lord not only help you and me to see life from an eternal perspective, from God's perspective, but may He also grant us the power to exercise self-control when temptation beckons. Someone has defined self-control as the ability to choose consistently with growing consistency the highest good in a world that is filled with many choices, many appetites that would pull us and push us to accept less than God's best. In fact, self-control is actually a gift of the Spirit of God. Good thing, because if it was just up to us to our own energy, we would lose every time. We'd be constantly falling into these traps. Galatians 5.16 says, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If you are a child of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then He, His Spirit, dwells within you. And you can call upon the the control of His Spirit when you find yourself in tempting situations. In fact, the Spirit of God in us is kind of like the conductor of a symphony. We're under the conductor's baton. All the multi-talented group, you know, all the musicians with their instruments, under His baton, under His direction, they're all able to play their note at the right time in the the right way, with the right volume. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit in us, the Spirit is able to bring all of our conflicting impulses and desires and passions, and He's able to put them together in a way that's healthy and appropriate. But if we're not watching the conductor if we're just all playing our own tune, what do you end up with? Disaster. The Spirit of God in us keeps us in proper balance. Of course we all have desires and appetites. God is not against pleasure. But God wants us to view pleasure in the right way in such a way that that pleasure brings blessing and joy and not more heartache and pain. To be self-controlled is to be spirit-controlled. So may it be that, that we would get our own ego out of the way so that more and more the Spirit of God may be at work in us, giving us direction and strength helping us to avoid traps. Poor Esau. He was anything but under control. His values were all mixed up. Gave up his birthright for a bowl of mush. And so may you and I heed the lesson. May the Lord help us to live as his children in the world to live out our identity in Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we all have a problem with this. We tend to live by our impulses and our passions, and we let ourselves go, and then we wonder why we're in trouble. So help us to listen to you, to make you the focal point, to get your long-term perspective on our needs. And Lord, more and more, may your Spirit exercise control over us, that we may find rich blessing and enter into the inheritance you have prepared for us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Amen and amen.